Hello, and welcome to the Two Real Cinema Club. I'm James Rosica. And I'm Andre Slarite. And at the Two Real Cinema Club, we watch two films, usually one old one, one new, and we try and draw some comparisons between the two. Uh, but this week, everyone here at Two Real has World Cup fever. <laughs> For nearly a year now, uh, Jimmy and I have known that we've been in uh, Group B, Jimmy's England and my USA. We're in Group B, the second letter of the alphabet, because we are not A-listers by any means. We are the second reel. We're the B team. Jimmy, I can't believe it. It's been about a year uh, of, of the podcast since we did yeah. Red Notice way back when. So <laughs> You would have thought we would have figured out how to do it by now, wouldn't you? Exactly. Second year. Second year will be better, I'm sure. <laughs> Unless we have a sophomore slump. Uh Unlike the real World Cup, however, Group B is changing. Portugal is joining our group. Mm. And when Portugal joins one of the goats, do you guys have this expression in England, the greatest of all time, goats? Yeah. Yes. It's sort of an acronym think, for the great. Yeah, yeah, we have that. Yeah, yeah. So Cristiano Ronaldo, of course, he thinks he is the goat, but he <laughs> is not the he's real been, goat. He's just been the, fired, hasn't he? I think. Yes, he has yeah, been fired. Right, yeah. Banned from England. <laughs> but he's playing with Portugal. But uh, we have one of the greatest of all times joining us today. Um, uh, the real goat is a writer's writer. She's a writer's teacher. She's a film educator and creator and writer of the series Santiago. That's for Portuguese television. So look that one up. Uh, she was also the writer on a series for Brazilian HBO called Alice. She's one of our best friends and favorite humans on the planet. Our first guest. In one year to ride third reel on the Two Reel Cinema Club, welcome Inesh Braga. Wow, thank you very much. What a nice introduction. <laughs> We're a very, very nice person. Are you watching the World Cup? Yes, I am. I'm very disappointed in Ronaldo, even though I'm probably one of the few here in Portugal because people still worship him no matter what. But yeah, it's just yeah, so depressing and just horrible, terrible behavior. I'm very disappointed in him. But anyway, if that fuels, if, the, if all that anger fuels and, and translates into goals, then probably I'll be very happy next week. <laughs> goals at any price then, basically. Exactly. <laughs> so you will be rooting for him even though you're not really a favourite. I'll be rooting either. for Portugal, I guess. Okay. Yes, and he's yeah. part of it. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, if he gives us a goal. But yeah, like I'm... I'm very much rooting for Bruno Fernandes and other players, exactly. you know, that deserve their spots now and have been very, very good. So, yeah, new generation. The next, yeah, the next generation. Awesome. Well, for me, um, those first games start at five in the morning here, oh. so I'm not. Oh God. I'm, I'm not watching those games, but I do have a, a long weekend here for American Thanksgiving. So for the next five days, I will be watching a lot of football, and some of it early in the morning, as you can tell. It's refreshing to hear you call it football and not soccer. You've given yeah. it a proper name. Well, now that Inesh is here, you know, two-thirds of our audience... <laughs> yeah, it's two against one. Inesh, right. yeah, um, <laughs> you use the word football, so I have to. But, uh, yes, we do say soccer here in the United States. But people are excited here, too, as well. We had a pretty good performance yesterday, though we did not... Uh, yeah, congratulations, US and England. Yeah, playing really well. Um, I love the England squad, I have to say. I'm very happy. I watched it with my son, who's... Um, half British, half Portuguese, and um, so, yeah, lucky him. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, that's true. Well, we will go mano a mano on uh, Friday, I believe, Jimmy, in football, but today we go mano a mano in film. So this is oh, a football and film f- podcast. <laughs> 
we should we we should do, we should do uh, football and film socials, shouldn't we? Uh, before we before we talk about the films, please um, do. Right. So that was what we we're all supposed to do at the top of the top of the episode. So uh, just to underline, you can find us on Twitter at two real cine club at twitter dot com. Although these days, uh, this week I've been feeling a bit ambiguous about Twitter, so mm. I don't know. But, so I haven't, I haven't been looking at the the account. You can find us on Instagram, two real cinema club at instagram dot com. You can read the blog. That's probably the way to contact us. The two real cinema club dot com, the blog there, or you can email us. Uh, club at gmail.com and tell your friends if you're enjoying the show football or not you can find us on Apple Podcasts Google Podcasts Spotify or wherever else you get your podcasts and we're on YouTube as well uh, so you have no excuse this week we have watched uh, two films uh, the new uh, MCU blockbuster Wakanda Forever we are comparing that with 1984's Quilombo um, a Brazilian film, and already I am embarrassed in anticipation of how badly I'm going to pronounce all the Portuguese names in that film. <laughs> we have a native Portuguese speaker on the pod. <laughs> so uh, I'm glad this is audio only. Save my blushes. <laughs> and I'm glad you're the one presenting that film. Because I, do... <laughs> I love saying Quilombo, Palmeiras. Very and good. Else? And Acochidirene, I love it. We'll talk about that later, I guess. Uh, but Wakanda Forever, let's go. 2022, it's a brand new film written and directed by Ryan Coogler with Joe Robert Cole. It's sort of the same team that uh, did Black Panther, which I think was 2018. Right. Um, it is two hours, 41 minutes. So keep that in mind. Yeah. I certainly did. Um, half billion. I can say that half billion dollars gross thus far on a budget of $250 million. So certainly starting to make some money. Um, features some characters from the, the earlier film. Letitia Wright is uh, Princess Shuri. Um, Angela Bassett is Queen Ramonda. And Lupita Nyong'o as um, Naki, I guess her name is. And then, Naki, um, Nakia, I think. Nakia, yeah. Nakia. Yeah. Was my guess. Yeah. Thank you, thank you, sir. Uh, Tenoch Huerta is Namor. So he is, I guess these are all characters from Black Panther. I just talked to my stepson who clued me into the fact that uh, Namor does appear in some of the the, 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 um, the graphic novels or the comic books for um, uh, the Black Panther series. So for me, he was a new character, but I guess if you're a fan of the series then, or, or you know the series, then he's not new to you at all. Um, but um, I, for me, I think my favorite parts of this film are really the, the homage in the beginning to Chadwick Boseman. I thought it was beautiful. They are sort of um, mourning uh, T'Challa's death. Um, there's a burial scene and some goodbyes. It's very lovely. There's a similar scene towards the end, which we'll talk about a little bit. Um, but the story starts one year later after the last film is finished. Um, the inciting incident is sort of this um, this vibranium mining operation somewhere in the Atlantic Ocean. Um, the Wakandans aren't sharing the precious mineral um, as much as the French and the Americans would like them to. Primarily because they have no reason to trust the Americans and the French. So, um, but out at sea, the Americans are on this sort of military ship looking for the vibranium. They come across this uh, deep sea ex expedition operation going on um, where there's this machine sort of mining for vibranium deep in the ocean. Gets a little creepy when one of the Americans in this these incredibly bulbous and clumsy uh, deep diving suits uh, sort of disappears. And sure enough, they're under attack. Um, at first, it seems like uh, by so sounds, it's like this sonic attack, these uh, 
almost these uh, sirens of uh, mm. of Greek mythology, making these sounds and luring uh, American soldiers like lemmings to their death. Um, if they can't, if the um, the evil creatures, these blue creatures uh, from the water, um, can't um, kill them with sound, they will kill them with physical violence. They're definitely a threat on a couple fronts because they can do it with sound, they can do it with swords. Um, I, I, so I, f- yeah. I found this scene a little bit confusing because yeah. you know, it, it goes all the abyss, doesn't it, for like five or yes. ten minutes. And you yeah, have yeah. You know, all, your, all your standard undersea adventure stuff. And then um, they seem to be under attack from like a like a, a scarlet or purple jellyfish squid. Yes, and at I was first. Thinking, oh, that's, I, I thought that was quite interesting and, and that really grabbed my attention. And as far as I'm aware, that never came back for the rest of the film, never did it? Never came back. Yeah, that's why I wasn't even going to mention it because it doesn't come back. Um, yeah, never. It doesn't. Um, but the the uh, the sea, they're really, they're human humans. I mean, they come from the sea. They look very ancient. They are sort of in Mayan dress. Um, their skin is sort of painted or tinted blue. Um, and um, they are um, trying to sort of disrupt this whole mining operation. Um, and it sort of cuts there. From there, it goes back to Wakanda. We see the Wakanda sort of after uh, T'Challa's death. Um, and sort of towards the end of the first act, uh, Queen Ramonda is taking Sh- uh, Shuri to this um, uh, sacred place. It's a lake, a deep lake in Wakanda with their elephants sort of swimming there. And they're doing this. She, she wants Shuri to do this ritual burning of her mourning gown to say, hey, look, T'Challa's been gone for a while. Things are going to change. And sort of just as she's about to say, there's something you should know about your brother, T'Challa. Um, <laughs> and this is a question that burns for a couple of hours because it happens about 40 minutes in. We don't get an answer until you have some 20 minutes. Yeah, um, I'm going to tell you much, much later or somehow you're going to find out much, much later. Um, Namor emerges from a lake. He's a, he's a, one of these blue creatures, but he has wings on his feet. Uh, and he announces that he needs. He's very powerful. Um, he can sort of move this uh, machine. He found the machine. Well, the machine sort of ends up on the shore of the lake. The same machine that was mining in the in the deep Atlantic ends up. But he says, "We, I need your help to find and kill this young American scientist who's responsible for designing this technology that the Americans are using to to mine vibranium." And Immediately, I thought, boy, why doesn't he do this alone? He seems <laughs> yeah. super powerful. I think he can go find the American. Uh... Yeah, if you can lift a tractor on your own, you can use a phone book, can't you? Yeah, exactly. Yes. So I, early on, I was kind of uh, suspicious about what was going to be happening. Um, uh, but they certainly take him up on the offer. I think they realize he's so powerful that maybe he could really be a threat to Wakanda. So um, the, uh, a couple of the Wakandans, including Princess Shuri, go off to... Uh, of the United States. This is sort of a, a tour of the world film. It reminded <laughs> me of like a James Bond thing at times because you're constantly getting the location on Earth of where the action's taking place. Um, up to this point, only the Wakandans have really mined vibranium, and it turns out this Namor character also has uh, some access to vibranium. Um, and they all sort of agree that if the Americans get it or the French get it, it's, kind of, it's not going to be stewarded very well. It's not in good hands with them. Um, and then I think a funny thing in the story for me is there's really not much attention on the Americans at all after this point. Um, they're sort of glossed over and inconsequential. I think they're supposed to be a primary antagonist, but they're not. Part of it seems casting as well to me. Um <laughs> They were just not nefarious at all. They were not really clear as uh, villainous, villainous characters. Uh, Julia Louis-Dreyfus, who's a really a comedic actor here, she gets her funny lines in, and it sets up some sort of tonal shifts. Martin Freeman also, I think of as being kind of on that comic, uh, mm. comic edge. Um, and they're sort of given 
too, simultaneously too much and too little to do in this story. There's backstory on their marriage, right? But there's no real purpose or volition in their present-day activities. So they, they do appear, but they're not used very much. Am I completely off base there? I didn't find them to be... I didn't find I, the Americans to be a, a danger or a threat, and I also just didn't find it very interesting in the story. For, for a film that's two hours and 40 minutes long, yeah, um, you know, that that entire subplot could easily have been excised utterly and yeah. brought the film down a little bit, and we would have missed nothing. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. The, yeah. I feel like the only reason those characters are ex- is ex- existed to set up other films and a TV series later in the year. It feels like okay. it's it's um almost like it's like an an embedded advert rather than okay. um than a, you know a proper bit of storytelling. Or to the contrary, I thought. You could expand that story. If you've got two hours and 41 minutes, uh, you could mm-hmm. make it longer. So that's why I thought either too much or too little. I mean, probably, as you said, too much. You could have just taken them out entirely. You're always waiting for something to happen, I guess, right? Every time you see them, and also because they're, they're so good, you know, and they're, yeah. they're such strong actors that you're always waiting for something to happen, and then it doesn't. It really doesn't yeah. move on. So it's like, okay. <laughs> you get something to do. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, so it's uh, almost like intentionally wrong-footing us. We think something's going to happen. It's supposed to maybe introduce some tension, but I think they're I think they're just underwritten. And as probably Jimmy mm-hmm. said, um, you know, there are always sequels to these films. So yes, it's set up where you're, we think we're going to see uh, the Ross character played by Martin Freeman again in the future. Yeah. Um, by the way, the story plays out. So I think you're right. I think it is sort yeah. of setting up a later story. So they are uh, Shuri and uh, one of her partners are going into. Um, the United States are going to end up at, I guess it was uh, MIT. So they start out in Virginia briefly. Then I think they went up to Massachusetts, uh, Boston area, to go to MIT to find this um, this very, very talented young engineer. She's 19 years old. Um, her name is Riri. She's played by Dominique Thorne, and she's this amazing scientist who has all these inventions, even though she's very, very young. And immediately you think, well, I don't want to see this girl killed on, on, <laughs> on screen. <laughs> Why does that guy now more want to kill her? And I mean, it makes him a good antagonist in the early going, but... Um, we start to lose him as an antagonist because we get this sort of double origin story where uh, Namor takes Riri and Shuri to his world. It's Tolucan, which is an underwater paradise in Central America. He shows him his this beautiful world. People are th- floating around. Um, but sh- he gives Shuri another one of these crazy diving suits. It looks so o- o- awkward because she's just uh, she's like three or four times the size of her actual body. And she's... <laughs> Just clumsy. It's no movement whatsoever. It reminds me of one of these little onesies that the babies sometimes wear. They imagine it like full of melons or something like that so that you can't possibly swim or move. Very awkward. Um, But anyway, they get down there. um, um, And uh, there are some wonderful time jumps. I like to the sort of the 1500s, the Spanish conquest and discovery. The the Spaniards sort of had an idea about the vibranium back then, but... um, Namor and his people used it uh, against the conquistadors. Um, and it, it's just that for me, after a few years of, of seeing Black Panther, I, I could have used a bit more development of, and reminders of Wakanda, but all of a sudden I'm in this other world. Yeah. And I felt like I was getting these two worlds built for me at the same time. So I, I think the film sort of loses um, quite a bit of pace. I, I didn't even talk about sort of this overly long action sequence where the engineer is sort of uh, escaping with um, uh, Shuri uh, in Boston and they managed to, and again, it, it was funny because the, the, the I guess they're, the, I would call them the Tolucans, I guess, they show up 
in Boston. So he's asked them to go get the scientist, but then all of a sudden his people show up there anyway, like they, and they are the ones who end up taking her away in the first place. So it's a lot of sort of mixed, mixed intentions, I guess. And so I, I suppose I'm supposed to not fully trust Namor and his people, and I think that's why that's all there. But um, there's a long 10 or 15-minute action sequence where we do get to see Martin Freeman a little bit and Julie Louis-Dreyfus. So we're sort of getting all these people at once, but um, I think motivations are a little bit questionable at that point. Yeah. I'm not, did you guys get the sense that Namor wanted to use the Wakandans to to get back at the Americans or that that he could have just done all this on his own, but he had some other idea? Uh, personally, I read it as face value that he was asking them to do his dirty work because, you know, presumably MIT is more than one mile away from the waterfront or something like that. So yes. he, he has no he has no reach that far. Yeah. But you know, looking back on it, you think, oh, yeah, I'm sure there's supposed to be some kind of rather more complicated. Oh, that was my plan all along plot line. But I don't think it's clearly communicated in the film. The whole thing feels a little bit sort of muddy and blurry and yeah. kind of just feels like people with you know, people with outlandish costumes shaking their fists at each other. And I'm not entirely sure exactly how it is they all mesh together. I was I did think that this this action sequence I was was the first point in the film where I thought, oh, great. Now we're actually getting into gear and mm-hmm. we're seeing you know, a, a little bit of kind of, you know, proper kinetic action and fun. And I still think actually that's about the most fun I had in the whole film was that nighttime chase sequence um, through. Uh, it'll be Boston, won't it? Is that right? I'm, I'm... It was, ends up in Boston. They're on a bridge across the Charles right, okay, River. Yeah, 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 which is honestly at this point you don't really know that he's from Central America, but it's a lot closer to uh, uh, Boston than Wakanda is. So you think, uh, in terms <laughs> yeah. of, di- but distance doesn't really matter. Later on, he swims to Cape Verde in uh, in about yeah. five minutes. So <laughs> that was. So- Honestly, I have to say, when you just go to Cape Verde, I was like, oh, my God, what is this? And again, just for five minutes, why did he go to Cape Verde? I don't know. It was just, yeah, so uh, I totally agree in terms of motivations and also, like, you know, the backstory didn't explore that, you know, so it just takes us into different directions. But again, you know, I I agree with Jimmy, I'm sure, like, you know, Three more films, they will explain that, uh, you know, he was after something else. Yes. <laughs> Apparently it wasn't Vibranium, it was to avenge his mother. But, yeah, we shall see. <laughs> yeah, I think it's probably a good idea to keep in mind that this is, like, a chapter of a much larger piece, I suppose. Yeah. yeah, it's a universe, exactly. It's huge. So, but, yeah. it's like, but it's like selling a book where you have to pay, like, top dollar for each chapter that you yeah. get, isn't it? It's like, oh, yeah. you, you expect to pay again for the next chapter and again well, for the next chapter. And I remember how disappointed you were when you found out that Dune was part one. <laughs> it's exactly. And there's another one to come. But this is, so, this yes. is worse, isn't it? This is like, yeah, part 26, keep on coming, yeah. But I guess with these, you know, you've got a built-in audience. Um, a really interesting theme that I think goes underexplored came to me around this point. I, I, there's this knowledge of the wisdom of the ancients mm-hmm. in both worlds, both in Tulukan and in Wakanda. Um, but it seems that they, all, they are almost sort of paying lip service to the lessons of history. I don't think it really comes out that strongly, but there is this one theme statement. I think it comes from Shuri. She says, um, Black Panther's a relic. Um, and I, I really like this idea, and I think this is a vital idea of marrying natural and uh, ancient ritual with modern technology. This is the the exact line that I think we're sort of navigating right now in the world, is like how do we preserve the natural world and a lot of this, old, remember the lessons of the past, but move forward using technology to yeah. to survive, uh, you know, cooperatively. And the theme the theme is in there. I just didn't think it was that. I mean, maybe I pulled it out and it's not in there, but I think it's in there. It's just hinted, and maybe again, 
with a with a multi-film series, we've got to think, okay, maybe they're going to get there eventually. No, I agree. I think that that theme uh, was pretty clear. You know, I, I do believe that was one of the strongest points. Um, you know, it's trying to, of course, like this, uh, the theme of grief, and uh, and that is your main one. But I think you know that 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 sense mm-hmm. of. Uh, resources like how scarce they are and how we should protect our environment and you know the ancestors and even the conflict between the old and new and who should you listen to I think that was you know well explored I, I feel you know that that was one of the clearest yeah. through lines I felt and I, th- I think the, the thing that made me think of it as a theme was that, I was wondering, do you really have to kill the scientist? That seems like an old school thought. Like if someone has done something that might threaten you, you kill him, you take care of him. Whereas <laughs> I think the scientist is actually doing something that could improve things in the future. So the, this whole idea that Riri had to be killed because she'd come up with this invention seemed very archaic, I guess. Probably had some uh, influence from Twitter at the time and so decided to kill technology. <laughs> 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 they had like two releases of the film, one pre and post. <laughs> but ju- just, I said, just to be clear with Elon Musk, we have no intention of killing Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it's it's unclear at times if Tolukan is an enemy or an ally. I think that's intentional. Um, so there is some there is some sort of tension that brings us through the story. They do venture a little bit into into world politics, but I I, I don't think it does a great job there. It's probably not supposed to, but ultimately Shura and Namor are, they sort of agree that they want to burn this whole thing down together, the whole world down together. And it's not clear if that's really actually destruction, which I don't think it is, or sort of ending uh, things as they are right now with Mm -hmm. these wars over vibranium or these uh, conflicts between cultures. Um, So we get to the great scene where Namor, um, Shuri is in Namor's world and he sort of got her captured there. And Ramonda, Queen Ramonda goes on this quest to Haiti, I got to mention that quickly, um, where she gets um, Nakia to um, help um, sort of uh, uh, help the escape of uh, Shuri in uh, in Tulukan. Yeah. Uh, but she meets him in Cape Verde, so he swims quite quickly, I guess, um, <laughs> to meet with her. And while he, it's a double cross, really, while uh, <laughs> he is meeting with her, um, Nakia runs into uh, the Tulukan world. She has a much, uh, boy, a much more streamlined watercraft that takes her down there yeah. quite uh, quite swimmingly, I'll say, and rescues Shuri <laughs> and Riri the engineer from Tulukan. And he's pissed off, and he will seek revenge. And that um, revenge is basically this major water attack on Wakanda. So he's the world of water. He, he can actually sort of move the the ocean and move the the water. And, and Wakanda is sort of inundated um, both with um, Tolucan's people as well as um, water. And it sort of starts to de- destroy um, um, uh, Wakanda. And this is sort of the this takes us sort of towards the um, end of Act Two. Um, uh, there's a major action scene. It's all 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 this destruction, yeah. and uh, it really shows his power, Tolucan's power, uh, Namor's power. Um, and Queen Ramona dies. She's sacrificing her own life to save uh, the life of Riri, the scientist who has invented this uh, vibranium uh, extraction device. Um, and of course, Namor. This is still the one that Namor wants to kill. Um, so she pisses him off again by saving the engineer. There's another funeral because now Shuri's mother, the Queen Ramonda, has also died. And it also means that Shuri is the leader of Wakanda, sort of, um, for the time being anyway. Um, that leads to the classic uh, montage. New inventions giving birth to new power suits. Uh, uh, both Riri and Shuri are working on these new sort of Black Panther suits or uh, these uh, superhero suits. Um 
and then um, Shuri sort of uh, gets injected with some of the, the it's really the DNA of T'Challa, I guess. Um, and she has this, uh, this yeah. hallucination scene where she channels Killmonger, the Michael B. Jordan film, uh, Michael B. Jordan character. Um, and he's, you know, he's exploring uh, what kind of power, what kind of leader she will be. Um, there's a lot of fighting in the factions uh, within Wakanda at this point. I think there's this sense that uh, maybe she's not going to be the leader. Um, it sort of threatens the success of the country going forward. Um, reminds me a little bit. There's a scene in Colombo which is kind of uh, quite similar. Um, but she uh, mm. she's scared because she feels like she might be more like the Killmonger leader as opposed to the Chichala, um leader. I mean, he's he is definitely in favor of burning it all down, isn't he? Yeah, that's his, yeah. That's his whole kind of philosophy. And that's kind of where this next scene goes. I mean, I think the big falling action is this battle between Wakanda and a, all the Wakandans are sort of on a ship. They're taking it. He wants to. Uh, she wants to sort of get into his world on the water world, but then he wants. She wants to dry him out. She wants to dry Namor out because she thinks that's his weakness, his Achilles heel, um, because he's a water person ultimately. Uh, they fight on the sea. Um, there's this sort of simultaneous uh, f- fight, this mano a mano scene of Shuri is now the Black Panther. She's in the suit. She and Namor are just going mano a mano on the land um, where he's going to start having br- trouble breathing. And there are also plenty of moments where um, he and his people do pretty well breathing air with minimal technology. That's where <laughs> I thought all of a sudden they can breathe the air pretty well because they they're kicking some ass too. It's definitely an equal battle. <laughs> Um, even though yeah. technically I think they'd have problems with oxygen, but I, I, that's beyond me, so I'm not even going to try to explain that. Yeah, um, not clear what the rules are, is it? It is yeah. not clear. And then she, she hears these whispers from, I think it's Killmonger, you know, or no, it's from her mother, from Onda, like, show him who you are. And Killmonger, okay. as Killmonger, when she channels Killmonger, she kills, uh, she, or it seems like she's going to kill Namor, um, but when she channels Ramonda, she sort of saves him. Um, and there's this theme again of burning the earth together, and they sort of end up on this little bit of island in their final battle, and this island is kind of burning up. There's just fire happening everywhere. Um, final resolution, there's a peace that's brokered. The surface world and the water world are kind of united, at least, and not um, at war. Uh, Namor goes into this kind of long explanation to his people. He pleads with them to uh, put down their weapons or whatnot, and... Uh, have peace, but Shuri, she can just shout, Wakanda forever, and everything's okay. They say, yes, we understand Wakanda forever. That's it. So it's very funny because, you know, it's, it's that moment in a film where you get one of these cliched speeches and all that from a leader. It comes from Namor much more than it does from um, um. Shuri. She's very eloquent in just, and very, very terse. That's all she says, and that uh, is enough to do it. Um, and then I was thinking at this point, well, what about this thing that I'm supposed to know about the brother Chala, the Chala? Um, there's a late surprise, as I guess there always is in these films. I'm not a connoisseur or an expert on these films, but um, in the, the credits, final credits, is another beautiful homage, I thought, to Chadwick Boseman, because finally Shuri is in a place to uh, burn her morning gown, and she's in Haiti with her sister, or her sister-in-law, I guess. And it turns out that uh, Nakia and T'Challa had a son, whose Haitian name is Toussaint, after Toussaint Louverture, um, but uh, his uh, Wakanda name is T'Challa. And I think this sets up many, many sequels to come <laughs> and billions and billions of dollars. 
<laughs> and I think some someday someone should do a popcorn counter on sequels, Jimmy. Sequel. Hey, it's a good idea. God damn, it's a brilliant idea. Talk about you setting bet, things up, you, huh? You can bet that, that Marvel have already signed that five-year-old kid to a, like a, a very favorable exactly. eight-picture deal, haven't oh, they? He'll, he'll be in training. Yeah. He'll be doing every martial art you can imagine for the next few years. <laughs> on all sorts of uh, nutritional supplements, he'll be buff and a great actor, I'm sure. So um, I have a few not, notes and thoughts, but I'd love to hear what uh, our guest has to say and uh, as you uh, always, uh, Jimmy, as well. So. Well, I was trying, you know, like to, to lose sort of my cynicism, you know, I'm not a huge <laughs> sort of a Marvel fan, you know, like I prefer like DC, I have to oh. say. Um, Get off, get off this podcast. This, this is your last appearance terrible, on the podcast. Terrible, terrible. <laughs> Well, if one day you would like to hire me, of course, you're my favorite. Um, no, but actually, there, there was a really nice... Well, I love Letitia Wright. I love the cast. I think yeah. they're great. And, and the entrance of like, Lupita Nyong'o is, is just really brilliant. I really liked I think, you know, there's a really nice sort of female power in it. And um, and, and she, Letitia, I think, is just wonderful. There's a grace about her. And I think it's, it was very, very difficult to feel in those shoes. And, and, and she does it in a way, in, a, in a, her very own way, which I think is, is quite remarkable. And it was quite nice in the cinema, <laughs> which uh, actually made me enjoy the film a bit more. It was just, yeah, it was just me alone and lots of uh, high school students. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the sort of vibe and the, the room was incredible because they were clapping, crying, shouting, Wakanda forever! <laughs> I was like, oh my God. So then suddenly there was this sort of community feel, you know, this communal. And even though there was a very mixed audience, which I liked, it, it, it was very nice to see the sort of this youth after the pandemic, you know, all united, shouting Wakanda forever. And in terms of, you know, the messages that... Um, uh, that it tries to tell the world, you know, it, it's quite good. And I think we should uh, remind ourselves about, you know, the power of films like this. And, and there is certainly a power there that is quite special. It's definitely too long. Um, I, I do think that there's a lot of um, characters that are underwritten, yeah. including those two that we talked about. You know, there's long sequences. I think the Talokan, the history, his motivations are definitely underwritten. Mm -hmm. Of course, there will be in another film. And that is a bit disappointing, I guess. But um, if you suspend your disbelief and your cynicism a bit, you know, it's a very enjoyable film. Uh, definitely far too long, but... Um, and it has very moving scenes, you know. Definitely, like, the T'Challa moments, the Chadwick Boseman's tribute is just very, very moving. And the final scene, even though... You know, I felt like, yeah, it was definitely too long. But when she is there by the fire in Haiti, it's just, yeah, it's incredibly moving. And, and even that, you know, like uh, that um, credit scene is also very beautiful. So, yeah, you have to... And I think he, he, he dealt with it with a lot of sensitivity, you know, Ryan Coogler. You know, I think he, he dealt with it in, in a very sort of earnest way, which I guess is the Marvel way also. Uh, so that's why they're a very good fit, mm. but um, but it was quite a challenge, and I think he he did quite well in that respect. Isn't it amazing that the I think the most touching, the most human moments are featured around a character who's not even there. 
Yeah. 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 That was the most moving stuff, yeah. and he's not there, but, I, yeah, but it was very well yeah. done. Yeah, but that's credit to, yeah. you know, he's just, he was just really special. He was just a really, really special yeah. guy. So, and I think, yeah. Um, and that came across, yeah. which I think it was, it was very good. I do have a, like a bit of a either a question or an observation about like the political content of the film because it spends mm. it spends most of its running time setting up uh, kind of two uh, basically two groups of oppressed minorities, doesn't it? There are yes. the Wakandans, mm-hmm. you know, who are you know they have a booming economy and they're doing very well, but you know they they you know they talk about the colonizers constantly and they're very conscious that they are surrounded by. Um, hostile and you know aggressive people who want to come in and take their resources so we have one you know, oppressed minority here and then we have a second oppressed minor- yeah. minority mm-hmm. based on the kind of the like the mayan people who then become the underwater people you know and they also are kind of you know, uh, protective and fearful of the outside world and they, they want to hang on to what they've mm-hmm. got um and i think the film i'm not sure whether it's clever or whether it is cack-handed that the film basically takes these two oppressed minorities and we the audience watch them beat the heck out of each other in in the climax while there are some white Mm. europeans just in the background basically rubbing their hands together waiting for the waiting for the fighting to die out so they can then go in and take the resources yeah um it reminded me a little bit of um that kind of uh that sort of uh, 90s conspiracy about how the cia were the people who invented crack Yes, yeah. and and, uh, and then they would basically just feed it into the you know, into the ghetto and uh, and then stand back while you know while kind of all the, the urban guys would just you know shoot each other and and you know do the job of the CIA for them. Yeah, yeah, in lots of American cities that was a theory. Remember LA, Chicago, all of those. Uh, you know, it was yeah. I remember like South LA, East LA. There was an article about it that yeah they were just waiting for the two minorities. You know the gangs, no matter what gangs they were. You know just to um, to die, kind <laughs> of um, OD'd on crack. Mm. Yeah, it's just yeah bizarre. But I remember reading an article about it. Yeah. And kind of at the end of the film, we get this kind of uh, the thing I think which the story is trying to draw us towards, like you know the moment when the two factions kind of unite. But I think yeah. it's it just it just slightly fluffs that ending, I think. It yeah. doesn't quite feel climactic. <laughs> it feels sort of anticlimactic. And even at the end, um uh when Namor has this speech, you know, to his people, yeah. Uh, or to his kind of second in command or whatever, and I didn't quite understand. I think it's her, his cousin Is that right? right? Namor. What I didn't yeah. understand was whether he was saying, oh I'm playing a long game here. And, you know, and actually I'm going to, you know, betray them further down the road. Or was he saying, he seemed to be kind of saying, you know, oh, we're not defeated. Now we're allies and, you know, Wakanda will need us. Yeah. I didn't didn't quite understand what the play was here and whether, oh, you know, is, is the film trying to transmit a, a message about togetherness or about people who are oppressed joining up together to try and overcome? Mm. Um, or is it just saying, mm. oh, well, you know, these these people from minorities, they'll always betray you in the end and they'll just keep fighting amongst each other while the Europeans sort everything out. I, I just felt like, I don't know, I, maybe it, is a, um, it just shows how uh, unintelligent I was going in, but I find it, I find it difficult to wheedle out exactly what, the, what the theme was or what the, what the kind of the moral they were trying to trying to expand was. Even because, you know, you have a sense at the end that Nomura will betray and she will probably kill Namor and, and, and then fight um, um, Wakanda. I don't know, I have that feeling. But yes, you know, the message, if you, I think your observation is spot on, yeah. Jimmy. Yeah, I think, I, think, yeah. Um, yeah. I think you've nailed it perfectly. Um, 
and it, it's almost too real in the sense that it's uh, it's a reflection of human history. It's exactly what's happened yeah. again yeah. and again. Yeah. Exactly. And it's not lost on me that uh, this one character, the the Martin Freeman character Ross, um, the white guy, is freed. He escapes at the very end. <laughs> <laughs> no brain whatsoever. He's, and he's actually going to infiltrate Wakanda, it looks like, next. Not really infiltrate. He's going to be invited mm. into that culture, I imagine, in the, in the future film. That's mm. certainly how it's set up. So, I mean, it's not lost on me at all. And I, I, maybe that's intentional, that they, they want to reflect this world where uh, brown oppressed people and black oppressed people can uh, get into fights because the, the white Europeans are, are playing this game so well and, and getting them to fight against each yeah, other. Yeah, So if these two cultures yeah. are at war, guess who's going to slip in and get all the vibranium? It's going to be the French and the American. Americans that we saw at the beginning. So I I couldn't tell if it's it's either really astute politically or they're not really concerned enough about the politics the politics to sort of work it out yeah. logically, but they they know it's there. So there are a couple things in this film that I think are they've got to know. Right? Yeah, I think okay. so. I think I think they're surprisingly astute in a couple of ways, and either it's so subtle that mm. it seems that they're not doing it correctly, or they're so darn good that <laughs> they're pulling it off. <laughs> I just I can't tell. But I mean, the, the, so much of this film, I love the enlightenment features, like black female characters with lots of agency out there kicking ass. I mean, we've never yeah, seen that on yeah. screen before, right? Wakanda, this beautiful black African country with this advanced technology and this culture that I, I still, after two films, I still want to see how that place works a lot better. Because And the opening sequence yeah, is beautiful, yeah. isn't it? The opening sequence is yeah. really, really so there's, stunning. There are yeah. all these, I think, advanced things, but it, it, one thing that comes back to me is the same thing that happened in the first film that, that really bothered me was that ultimately there's this hint again of a battle at a, at a waterfall to determine the leader. Like, sure, he's going to have to battle <laughs> yeah. someone. It's, it comes down to this violent decision it's totally anti-democratic in the sense that it's monarchy the queen's death justifies countless wakandans dying because of this one person mm-hmm. and I, I think there's this this real mix of there's a lot of progress being made in these films and in these imaginary cultures but at the same time they're still playing by these old rules and again i'm not entirely sure if that's intentional and they just want to show what, what reality is or um if they're just not as concerned with that. They know what they need to do to make a Marvel film, um, and maybe they're sneaking some bigger ideas in, or maybe they're just really following the Marvel um, uh, format so well. I couldn't give you a straight answer one way or the other. One other thing I just wanted to quickly say was I thought the underwater photography in this film was fantastic. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I thought the, the kind of the the above water photography was fairly workmanlike, but the underwater stuff was really mm-hmm. terrific. I thought yeah. to the extent that I spent quite mm-hmm. a bit of the running time thinking, how did they do that? Yeah, yeah. I was kind of thinking, is it, are they really underwater? Is it just CGI? How, how have they done this? It looks yeah. looks fantastic. And did they beat Avatar to something here? Because Avatar is going yeah. deep underwater here soon too, right? <laughs> so, yeah. So, God, yeah. Where did I read somewhere? It's, someone said, oh, it's probably going to be the second best film about underwater blue people that we'll see all year. For all the interesting um, uh, political ramifications and yeah. all the kind of, you know, the hits or the misses on the storytelling, I, I do think I'm going to have to put in a call to the cliche squad. Cliche squad. Go, please. Where? I, t- I tell you what, uh, the, the big cliche for me um, is warehouses. It's the second time we've seen this quite recently. We saw the same thing with when we uh, did um, Do Revenge. Somehow students seem to have massive warehouses, either where they can do art or where they can do enormous engineering <laughs> projects. It's so ridiculous, right. honestly. I have to say, like, really, that scene, I was like, oh, my God. 
when I was, when, when you were students, did you get warehouses? I did. Did I maybe just not pick up the pick up the keys for mine? No. I never got given a warehouse. Cars, motorbikes, yeah. <laughs> but there are some there's some generous scholarships in this country. I know that everyone says it's really expensive to go to school, but some of these schools yeah. do give some generous scholarships. But yeah, she also had a, a beautiful. I mean, she had she had gear too, not just the space. She had the gear. Yeah. She yeah. had stuff to make stuff. Yes, that is... Oof. Another role that was totally underwritten, her role. I it think, was. Yeah. And I think, again, this is a role that I think we'll probably see more in the future. I'm not entirely Absolutely. sure. but yeah, I, I think they're setting her up for her own television series. So this is like, oh. a, yeah, this is a very bare bones introduction to someone who I think is quite an interesting character in the comics. But okay. yeah, there was virtually nothing to her in this film, yeah. which is a shame. Mm. Missed opportunity. Yeah, definitely. I agree. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, I think we probably we should have... Should we have a little break? I um, think we should, yeah. And then we'll come back and yeah. uh, and uh, we'll return to uh, yeah. to, to, to South America. Um, gonna, and we're going to savage the Portuguese language, but we've got <laughs> Inesh here to correct us. Right, we'll take a break and we'll be back with Kilo. Jimmy, Inesh, my friends at uh, World Beer United sent me an email just before the pod. They're asking for a quick mention because this is a very difficult time for them. Uh, The decision (laughs) to have the World Cup in Qatar uh, became even more absurd last Friday when it was ultimately in added time. uh, The organizers showed World Beer United a straight red card (laughs) prohibiting sales of alcohol (laughs) during the event. (laughs) And limiting it to hotels and really boring, sterile, safe drinking spaces. Mm. Um, so I just asked myself, and, and I think they're curious too, what was the foul that beer committed? <laughs> Why is beer suddenly offside? It's ridiculous. Like the real offside rule, no one understands. No one understands. <laughs> we know that beer is now out of play and has been substituted with crap. <laughs> <laughs> Cotter. Think about Cotter. This is a country that usually gives the money and runs. In this case, they are taking the money and running. Yeah. To the tune of $75 million U.S. Thank goodness. I don't know if you guys in the 1980s had Wendy's hamburgers, but we used to have these advertisements that uh, popularized the expression, where's the beef? Ah, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. That even made it here, yeah. Good. We're asking, where's the beer? <laughs> really? Uh, presumably, there is a shite load of beer still in the country after delivery. It's probably sitting in warehouses somewhere in that small country. And if I know the English fans and the Portuguese fans, quite frankly, they're going to sniff it out, find it, and all hell will break loose on those streets of Qatar. Yeah. Um, and it's not, the thing is, probably you can't drink them on the street, so you have to go to these um, other hotels. So they probably want you to spend all this money in these particular restaurants and hotels, so you can get totally wasted. But then they call you a taxi, so that you're not seen vomiting anywhere, uh, apart from the poor guy's taxi. That spoils the fun. Yeah. <laughs> I have this other idea, though, too. I think the Qatar is going to just turn around and sell all this beer, or the re-gift yeah, it to their friends, because. <laughs> I think their, their next bribery campaign is for the Winter Olympics. That's what I'm thinking. They want oh, the next God. Winter Olympics. <laughs> um, so I'm, just, uh, I'm also just going to... Face snow, be... yeah, it'll be beautiful. Yeah, like yeah, those, yeah, those, yeah. those massive ACs that they have now in the stadium. Mountains? Come on. What, what could go wrong? Yeah. Um, so I also worry that there are going to be millions of fans experiencing, and Jimmy, you can help me with this, the delirium tremens or the DTs, mm. and they're going to overload the... Ha- there's probably one hospital in Doha, right? So... Uh, <laughs> At this time, I just want to raise a toast to beer. 
Uh, sometimes it takes the piss. Sometimes it makes you pissed, <laughs> and it always gets you pissed. Uh, but at this time, I want to drink in solidarity with the beer people, even the Cud Riser sponsor, <laughs> and uh, I want to thank you for their service. Thank you. But Jimmy and Inesh, right here in the copy, they, they they sort of sent me this ad copy, and they said that I should ask you two to speak passionately about some of your experiences with beer and or other intoxicating beverages. <laughs> I, I was so enthusiastic about beer that uh, I and this other guy wrote an entire film script about beer. Oh, my if, oh if, God. If you really? remember, yes. yes. Oh, God, that's my script with you, yes. Pub <laughs> <laughs> guy. <laughs> All right. Touche, that's good. That's a good. What about Inesh? Do you have some experiences with beer that you want to talk about? Well, you can't watch football without beer, you know. Precisely, it's just, it's yeah, just yeah. ridiculous, you know. It's just, uh, I don't know, you know. Really, I, I can't dissociate the two. It does sound like a brilliant setup for a Three Kings style remake movie. <laughs> to go in for about, the beer, yeah, some, yeah. About some, yeah, some, some football fans who, who go to find the hidden beer <laughs> out in the desert. Uh, nice. Well, here we go. In conclusion, whether on offense or defense, beer is a winner. <laughs> Do you know why they called uh, the beer Cud Riser? This is <laughs> Because no matter how long you drink or chew it, and no matter how many stomachs you have, one, you will vomit someday, and two, it will still be crap. <laughs> However, beer, we love and miss you, and Cudriser, don't worry, we know you will be back at, and all over the flipping place in 2026 for the World Cup in Canada, the United States. back uh having enjoyed a beer uh <laughs> we're going to talk about uh, a uh, another film um about well, kind of about oppressed minorities quilombo 1984 film uh, from brazil uh directed by carlos dieguez mm-hmm. uh, written by dieguez with uh, joao felicio dos santos and dithio freitas now i am not aware of this guy's work at all um, Inesh, have you, you, now do you know about this guy? Yes, he's uh, he's very well known. Uh, people know him as Kaká Diegis, um, and he's one of the fathers of Cinema Novo, which was this. Um, it's called New Cinema, and um, it came on the back of um, the French New Wave and Italian neorealism. And yeah, it started in the fifties and sixties, and Kaká um, Diegis is one of them. He did. It's quite interesting because he did quite big budget films, um, I think 70s and 80s. One was called Bye Bye Brazil, which is very well known, right, and okay. God is Brazilian. And at the time, I remember, there were big budget films, like $10 million or something. So, Whoa. yeah, they were huge. And he's still alive, and he's very well respected. Mm. Um, yes, but he, you know, like um, the Cinema Novo died in Brazil, you know, as, as all the, the movements did. But, um, yeah, he's still very respected in Brazil, hasn't done that many movies. Uh, this one was was huge at the time, was a big landmark, but I'll let you um, carry on with the introduction. <laughs> and so so this, this is a film, this is set in the 17th century in Brazil. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, uh, uh, it begins on a sugar plantation. Um, 
there is a whole bunch of slaves who are working for the the colonizers uh, on the sugar plantation, and there's a breakout. Uh, they uh, kill the slave drivers. The, they uh, run off into the sugar fields, and basically they have a choice. Um, some of the, the slaves want to return back to Africa, return to the motherland, but the others want to go to this mythical place uh, called Palmares. Now, am I saying that right? I feel so self-conscious. No, that was very good. Palmares, that right? Palmares. yeah. Palmares. Okay, so that's your polite way of saying you got it Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> I'm married um, to a man that after 12 years can't still pronounce my name properly, so you're uh, totally yeah. forgiven, Jimmy. Yeah. <laughs> He'll be listening so- to this and he'll be like, what? I was going to say, it's also so refreshing to have someone polite on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, that never normally happens. That's why you invited me right there. <laughs> so so um, a bunch of these escaped slaves, uh, they, they pick up some other malcontents on the way um, and a big group of them. They make it to this mythical, this mythical place, this mountaintop nation within a nation, Palmar, Palmares. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, there, now that's, it's a, a settlement of freed slaves uh, of uh, free men um it's ruled by uh, this very kind of elderly sage called um acotirenes acotireni oh my oh my god i'm oh my, i'm glad i'm glad the camera's not on cuz you can't see me <laughs> um they're difficult names, I have to say. She, she lives in this kind of, it's amazing kind of like earthen castle, which yeah. seems to be made out of pots. It's yes. Like, like everywhere, it's like thousands of pots. Just absolutely incredible. Um, and she recognises that, you know, she's elderly. She hasn't got long to go. So she passes her crown on to uh, one of these new guys, one of the new slaves who's arrived, um, who gets the name Ganga Zumba. Yeah. Um, he's going to be uh, the leader of Palmares. Um, and she she kind of departs like on the shoulders of a young warrior. It's this lovely kind of she walks off into the mist, like sort of carried like she's a child. It's really yeah, sweet. It's a beautiful scene. Yeah. Um, so this, this is an epic. We, the next mm. scene is five years later. Mm-hmm. Um, so some Portuguese uh, colonizers, they they turn up um, and their intention is uh, either to try and uh, conquer Palmares or at least to try and steal some slaves. Um, they're ambushed. Um, by the people of Palmares, the, the attack goes wrong, but they do manage to steal one child, who is Namba, uh, who's a child that we saw like being born as soon as the like the freedmen um, arrived, like five years ago. So they snatch this child, and then we cut to fifteen years later. Um, the child is now an adult. Um, he's a slave to a, a, a priest in a settlement, and, and this is this kind of momentous year. It's sixteen sixty four. There is a plague. Mm-hmm. The comet passes overhead. Um, the boy is an adult, um, and uh, that night he escapes. And again, it's another kind of quite sweet, um, some symbolic scene. Um, he, he's dressed up like a, um, you know, a Portuguese man, um, and uh, he sneaks out. And he's got a choice of things to take, and uh, he chooses to take some food, um, but he chooses to leave the crucifix. And it's this kind of this big symbol. Mm. Um, he manages to return to Palmares. He takes this uh, long, impossible climb up the cliff face to get there. Um, and when he arrives, there's a big party going on. There's dancing. Um, and, uh, you know, he's welcomed back into the bosom of the family that he lost. Although his, his mother was killed at the time that he was stolen. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, Portuguese turn up again. They try to um, invade uh, the Portuguese colonizers this time, they're kind of they're a bunch of guns for hire who would like to accept the money without doing the work. So they just kill 
uh, one guy then go back and claim that they've conquered the entire settlement. Um, <laughs> but they're so incensed that the, the, the citizens of Palmar is so incensed um, that uh, they vow revenge. Uh, the returned boy, Namba, um, he becomes the avenging warrior. He gets a new name. Now he's called Zombie and he gets this kind yeah. of magic spear from the heavens, mm -hmm. this kind of, sort of flaming spear. It's kind of it's um, it's almost like a kind of a Greek myth or like a so yeah, European myth. Um, but uh, the worry is that um, the free country of Palmares will always be at war with the Portuguese settlers. So uh, they have this big debate. Should they leave the mountain where they've been safe mm -hmm. to avoid war or should they remain there and defend? And Ganga Zumba, uh, the leader, he, deci he decides, no, you know, I'm going to take anybody who wants to down to the, the waterside, I think. So they go down to the desert and to the waterside um, and they're going to set up anew there where they're not going to be threatened by the Portuguese. Um, but it turns out to be a terrible mistake. Um, he gets poisoned. Um, they return. Um, so the, the two different groups of the freedmen return back to the mountains. In 19, 1694, the Portuguese invade for the last time. This time they bring the big guns, literally. They have cannons. There's a big battle, hundreds of extras. Um, there's this uh, whole bunch of uh, explosions, uh, mist everywhere, big fight scene. In the end, Palmares is burned. There is a rout. Um, but the idea of the nation lives on in the people who escape. And uh, so Palmares, although we've seen the story for a century, the place is destroyed, but the the idea of the place continues. Yes. So I'd never seen this film, never heard of this film, um, never heard of the director. I'm not sure that I have knowingly seen any Brazilian films in the past. I'm embarrassed to say, I guess mm. I must have done, but nothing comes to mind. And um, the thing that most struck me about this film is just how myth-like it is. Mm -hmm. It reminded me a little bit of when we saw The Northman. And my overwhelming um, impression from that film was that it was um, this notion of a, a story world where the magical and the real exist in the same space. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, there's this kind of you know, strange sort of magical sensation to the world of Palmares. It's kind of it seems to consist of like some tunnels and caves and there's this huge um, sort of earthen fort and there are the thousands of pots. And it's kind of it's somehow otherworldly. And mm. yet also it's very, very kind of um, physically there. Mm -hmm. It's it's very palpable. It's very real. Yeah. Um, and it's, you know, it's a clever sleight of hand, I think, to be able to keep the two worlds you know on screen at the same time yeah absolutely had, had you seen it before i had seen it like many years but didn't really pay attention i was quite young it was on um on television and but i remember talking about it when i lived in in brazil in rio um having like a, a debate we were talking about you know like of course like the, the brazilians um uh, saying how bad the Portuguese were, and uh, then rightly so. And I'm glad, you know, this is a discussion that is happening more and more uh, in Portugal these days because before it was this idea that, yeah, we were great colonizers and Dom Pedro, like the king, uh, preferred Brazil to Portugal and all of this. And, yeah, we were magnanimous and we weren't as bad as the Dutch <laughs> or the English, you know, and it's just all bullshit. So I'm, I'm glad that now people are actually questioning and, and looking yeah. deep into our history and um, and yes I, and I'm hoping that there will be um, a lot more sense of an apology and, and 
recognizing things that were done very wrongly and I think there's still a long way to go but I, I'm glad that this conversation has started um, yeah the, like the actors are, are incredibly well known um, even yes uh, they, they are and even the soundtrack was done by Gilberto Gil he goes to the UK a lot and he's an amazing amazing musician him, Katan Vulos are, are, are like the voices of a generation the voices of movement and um, Gilberto Gil was the, the Minister of Culture uh, back in 2005 and six, I was lucky enough to actually um, meet him in Cannes uh, when um, Sergio Machat, the director I work with, had the film Lower City there and he came to, to the screening and it, it was a very strong moment for Brazil culturally and economically. Um, but yeah, some of the actors like Antonio Pupil, who plays Zumbi, Zezé Mota, that does, um, plays Dandara, Vera Fischer, who is the white Anna de Ferro, which is oh, almost like right. um, Iron Anna, and um, Antonio Pitang. Um, yeah, they're very, very, very well known and, um, and incredible actors. Um, so yeah, like it's inc- you know, some of them, like Vera Fischer, I didn't remember at all that she was in it, and then yeah, she's incredible. I, I, I loved the acting in this film, but it felt very, um, it kind of reminded me of a, like a realist film or something like yeah. that. If you had told me that they were largely non-professional actors, there's something, there's something just like a little bit affectless and... and um... Yeah, they were all very young, you know, there was probably like their first film. Yeah, yeah, yeah they were probably, this was their first film or, or the second film, I don't know, I didn't really read about it, but I imagine it was, yeah. But it, was... it just seems so very, very sincere mm-hmm. somehow, the acting. It's, um, yeah, entirely not put on. And I think they all realised that they were making something quite big, you know, to, to have done a film like this in the 80s. Um, it's quite incredible and like how they resisted and something that you mentioned Jimmy that is I love about uh, Brazilian history is how they mix for instance nature and this sort of magical like the Odishash which is like um, something that is still very present for instance in Bahia these rituals that are associated to the traditional West African gods and uh, that they believe that um uh, you can, you know, worship many spirits, and they all have different names and are associated to certain foods, the colors, the days of the weeks, so these orishas and candomblé, and you know, the certain things like the the shells and all the things that they represent. There's also like the martial arts. I don't know if you noticed like capoeira yeah. that they practice, like zumbi, and even. Um, Ganga Zumba, yeah, it's just, um, it's all pretty special and all very sort of ingrained in, in the culture. And if you think about even now, that, that uh, ritual when um, Ganga, Ganga Zumba is, um, when he dies, uh, it, it really reminded me of the opening of um, Wakanda, you know, it was the yeah. same type of mm-hmm. rituals, the same type of sequence. And when you look back and see that this was done like 40 years ago, it's pretty incredible. I mean, Andres, you yeah. suggested this yeah. film. Uh, were you aware of the astonishing parallels with Wakanda Forever? 
when you when you suggested it because I'm, it's amazing yeah. how these two films go together. Yeah, yeah there's um, there's something wrong with my brain, honestly. Um, it came. I first of all, I wasn't even going to suggest uh, a kind of forever, and then as soon as I said it, it was just because it was in the theaters here. And as soon as I said it, it was in that moment that I, when we were talking, I just said Quilombo would be perfect. So how do it's, you know about Quilombo? I, I think I'm just I've got such a sponge with films, and I've seen this film in two different settings. I saw it. Um, Miraculously, twice there was a there was an international film series uh, in Colorado when I lived out there at the wow. university. So I saw it there first, and that was probably early '90s. So it was already maybe ten years old. And then for some reason there was a VHS copy of it in the library in, in Colorado uh-huh. as well. So then I saw it again. So it's a film I know pretty well. Um, it's a film that yeah I, I thought it would pair together pretty well in in part because I think Wakanda has the potential to be this kind of film. Yeah. Um, this it, uh, it's not, you know, it's, it's hokey. There's some, vi- some of the violence is hokey. Some of the acting, especially among the extras, is really, <laughs> is really hokey. But the ideas are so solid. Mm. Um, and I think, you know, overall there's this sort of, uh, and I think Gilbert Gilles, at some point in his lyrics, he says something about black joy being yeah. a, a weapon. And Zumbi says, Zumbi says, the cross is no use unless it's picked up and used as a sword. Yeah, sword. When mm. you turn it, right? Yes. Yeah. So but and then he, yeah, he also one of the last lyrics I think was "Utopia one for all and all for one quilombo," yeah. and he talks about it being a many-colored peacock. A black and Eldorado group. Yeah. yeah, and Ganga Zumba, he's really intent on bringing in Anna and bringing in all yeah. sorts of different people. So yeah. th- this film is really all about utopia. And Jimmy, I think you sort of hammered it earlier. It's Utopia is real. There's something very obvious about it when you see it. These different cultures have come together, and they were oppressed, but they've become independent and and wealthy on their own. But then utopia is also an idea. Mm-hmm. Like you carry it that it's going to sort of dissolve, but it's going to it's going to sort of um, integrate itself into Brazilian culture after this point. And uh, so I, I think it's just got these tremendous ideas. Um, Absolutely. It's a it's a peculiar film in some ways because it's really it's it's written kind of in chapters. I think it was a novel, right? I think that it's, the source material is novelistic, yeah. um, and you you sort and of get these on, chapters. And it's based on you know like on history. There, there yeah, was history, this yeah. settlement you know called Colombo, and there were about I think eighteen expeditions of the Portuguese trying to um, conquer it, and um, yeah. and yeah, yeah, and I think that's why it was like almost over a century yeah. or almost a century. And um, yeah, it, it, it's pretty incredible, and I, I love the the sense of utopia and the fact that they had, you know, they worked with the indigenous people, uh, with the white women, and it was like a real. They they wanted like yeah. this settlement for all, and and that. And when we were talking, Jimmy, about you know like Wakanda and being like about two minorities, but probably killing each other, like in this sense, no, like the minorities protected each other against yeah. the whites right so it was it's much clearer in that sense um, yeah. what they were trying to achieve and the, and the, I think the music is so joyous too. Wow. That's all the, you've got this yeah. anachronistic soundtrack, yeah. right? You've got this sort of yeah. '80s samba, but we're talking about uh, 16th, 17th, 18th century uh, uh, yeah. Brazil, um, and it's just so joyful. So mm. I mean, it's exactly what you, you want utopia to be—a big samba dance, yeah. right? And that's yeah. uh, it's, it sort of comes through in the movie. 
But I mean, they mix it together, don't they, with like sort of 80s digital drums. Yeah. And then, and then there's, kind of, and then there's like the African drumming as well. And then there's yeah. kind of, yeah, this kind of um, Latin music. It's amazing. It's a flawed film, you know, I guess, yeah. you know, it is. It's dated, it's, it's flawed. Yeah. But, I, you know, this what I like about it is like the intention is is, yeah. is very noble and, um, and is well accomplished in that respect that, you yeah. know, it's true to what it's set out to do and then to, it's true to his message. I was just going to say, a few minutes ago, I was talking about how, um, you know, there are a couple of themes that I really love in, in Wakanda, but I, Wakanda for everybody really had to, you know, seek them out. I had to dig them out. This film has its ideas, and they're right there on the surface, yeah. and they're <laughs> it's just so pleasing to see that. So mm-hmm. that's why, another reason I love it. Yeah. There's some, some great filmmaking in this in this movie yeah. as well. I made a few little notes about how, like, um, it really plays on the four elements. That, you know, there's kind of there's fire, air, and water, mm-hmm. and earth, and they're really kind of right there on the screen. It's yeah. like there's something you know, distinctly elemental about the the story, which is I think what gives it that mythic kind yeah. of taste. And I don't think anyone has mentioned the costumes yet, yeah. which which is, are probably you know greater stars of the show than the actors. Yeah. The, costume, the costumes just incredible. incredible. Yeah. There's this kind of strange magical thing where Ganga Zumba. Um, oh yeah, you know, like he, he kind of he transforms into mm-hmm. the leader that he becomes, and it's like it. But the, like he's sometimes literally portrayed by a different actor who wears this kind of woolen white mask yeah. over his face. Yep. But you know, but it's, it's the same person, but it's a different person. There's something just kind of magical and otherworldly mm-hmm. about it. Yeah. And a lot of it's done really simply. I had to write this down because this this came up in Wakanda forever as well. They reuse this technique. I think I started counting, and they've done it at least four times of um, characters appearing on screen, not by walking in from the left or the right or, you know, or panning to them, whatever, but by standing up into the frame yeah. that kind of the camera is there and the ca- then the, the characters will just stand up and appear from below. Mm-hmm. And they, they do something similar with the entrance of Namor, mm. I think, in the, in the battle in Wakanda. Yeah. Um, and yeah. it's something I right. just see so rarely on screen. Mm. It's such a really clever way of introducing a character. It's just lovely. It's very cinematic. It's beautiful. And I loved, you know, like the, also another thing that um, about Ganga Zumba and then Zumbi um, that is they're aban- you know they're abandoning God, you know, the, the the Catholic God, you know, the Portuguese God, but not the gods, you know, the gods of nature, the Odishas, yeah. you know, they they're totally surrounded by them. But so when it comes to the cross of Christ, um, he uses it as a gun, you know, to attack. Yeah. yeah, which is again, you know, very cleverly done and very clear in terms of what they, you know, the message that they're trying to convey. Yeah, it's 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 done well. Messages yeah. are uh, yeah. the when you mentioned the pots earlier. I mean, the, the pots are it represents yeah. wealth, right? Yeah. They've got enough. Yeah. They've got a secure environment. They've got enough stuff that they need pots to hold them. And uh, at the same time, it's very clear that this utopia, it's not perfect. They're going to disagree. They're going to mm. argue a little bit, but they will hang together. And and again, it's about resources, right? It's, it's a yep. land that had it all, you know, like mm-hmm. Wakanda. So it was a very rich... Uh, there was that little scene, you know, where they're fighting over the corn. And, and then he says, you know, like, what... what um, that there is no land. I think there was a really great line when he mentions, do you, something about the wind, do you remember that line? Yeah, yeah. yeah no one owns the wind, no one owns the sun, yeah. Yeah, no one owns the, the water. The land is so, of everyone, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. yeah. 
It's I, I think it does have this sort of painterly and yet surreal quality at times. Mm. Um, even given the technology of the early eighties, it was probably you know filmed in like eighty two, eighty three. So yeah. um, it, it it is kind of Fellini esque to me too. I mean, I'm, yeah. I I sometimes I hate to admit that I'm a big fan of Fellini because I don't think his <laughs> messages are as clear. So this has the advantage of having some really clear messages with it has this that sort influence. Of, exactly, has that. Yeah, I think yeah. it's definitely. I think Fellini's in there, mm. um, and you know, I I think there's this also. There's a there's an inherent contempt for violence in this film, too. They don't spend a lot of time killing people. People die pretty easily. It's gruesome enough, but we don't need to see people really bleeding out. You know, it's just... And I think that's because the filmmakers probably aren't that interested in the violence. They just need that as a plot point. Okay, we had to kill some Portuguese, mm. or some of our guys got killed. Um, but they don't dwell on it, because that's not that important. The messages of the film are more important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I, I, I made a little, started making a little list of the parallels with Wakanda Forever. And oh. I think it's a oh, good. It's kind of synthesis yeah. of bringing the two films together. Yeah. That, so, like, they both start with, like, an isolated, defended, unbeatable black nation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and they both have this kind of, you know, uh, inciting incident, I suppose, of, of um, having to resist European colonizers who come in and try and take resources, yeah. either whether the resources are. Uh, are vibranium or whether the resources are slaves mm-hmm. but you know these are the resources that the community has um, there's like an abortive attack which results in the kidnap of a child mm. which is exactly, exactly the same thing that happens mm-hmm. in, in yeah. Wakanda forever and um, and uh, the kind of you know the people are split into two factions those by the sea and those who are inland which is just the same as Wakanda mm. forever yeah. but um, and, and I think you, you mentioned earlier kind of like the similar themes about its kind of parenthood uh, sacrifice, leadership, this kind of the funerals and death. It's yeah. all kind of all intertwined together. Yeah. But, but I, yeah, I came away thinking that Quilombo made this extra step, which Wakanda Forever didn't. They made the step of unifying the factions yeah. to fight the colonizers. Exactly. Yeah. And that, that's just kind of the final step that Wakanda Forever mm. doesn't do, um, either because... Um, you know they don't want to, or they're saving it for the yeah, next film. It has to be open ended somehow. Yeah, yeah. and I, I feel like Ryan Coogler must have seen this film. I mean, because it's it's similar. I mean, I, I, he's probably working yeah. more from Marvel material, I guess. But I would think as a filmmaker, he would have seen this film. Yeah, I agree. I think you know it's a landmark. You know, I think you study this in, in film history, and um, especially if you are going to make a film about black culture, right? That you definitely have to watch Columbo. Well, uh, sounds like a hit. Well done, Andres Lorente. Incredible, I have to say, <laughs> when um, I saw that comparison. And I hadn't seen Wakanda, but I had seen Colombo. I was so, so pleased in terms of, yeah, like how, how they marry and how one of them is, you know, as we always say, you know, the, it's ahead of its time and yeah. uh, how long it took to, to get to something like Wakanda forever. And you are took, such a polite guest. You're coming no. back for sure, <laughs> saying nice no, things about me. No, it was brilliant, me. you know. It was just such a clever, yeah, it was very good. Thank you. Well, we just have time to quickly go over what else is playing at this theatre. Uh, what, what else have you seen lately? I've actually have seen The Wonder. Have you seen that with Florence Pugh? It was done by... Uh, Sebastian Lelieu, who um, studied at our school, London Film School. Oh. Yes. Oh. And it's a small little 
film, but actually very, very good. She's amazing, Florence Pugh, you know, the actress. Mm. And, um, yeah, it was, uh, it's basically, you know, Sebastian is uh, Chilean. I think he started as a screenwriter. And he made a film, I think it was A Fantastic Woman. Have you seen that film? No, uh, that was also no. very good. And uh, he's now made The Wonder set in the UK. And um, which, again, I thought that perhaps it wouldn't be so good because it's uh, English language. But no, it's basically about um, the psychological thriller slash drama about this nurse that is going to... Um, find out about this uh, child who hasn't eaten, who's been fasting for three or four months and oh, yeah. to try to understand what's wrong with this girl and uh, it's about religion and um, like good against evil type of story but it's very eerie, very interesting, um, incredibly well shot, um, yeah, with, with remarkable performances including the, the girl that um, plays, you know, the, the fasting girl that is, uh, I think is an Irish girl, Anna O'Donnell, I believe. And then, yeah, incredible. Is it a theatrical release? Yeah, it had a theatrical release and I think now it's on Netflix. I saw it in London, mm. yeah. It was the last uh, film I saw it at Curzon. I, th I think it is on Netflix because it was just recommended to me, and now I'm so happy to hear that you enjoyed it. Because ah. you, you stole my thunder a little bit, but you're a polite guest, so I'm going to thank you anyway. Um, because that's I haven't really seen anything else other than Quilombo and Wakanda Forever in the last couple of weeks, but this is <gasps> number one on my list. It does look great. It looks a uh, period piece. It looks like yeah. it's a. Uh, 16 or 1700, yeah. something like that. It almost looks like Salem Witch Trials. I forgot to mention that very important detail, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. it's definitely a period <laughs> So, yeah, that is top on my list. It looked like a great trailer, um, so for sure. that's. Um, and, but, yeah, that is on Netflix. It's not playing in my theater right now. What about for you, Jimmy? From, from, the, from the sublime to the ridiculous. Yeah. We, uh, the other night we... Uh, uh, the children were out. My children are old enough now to kind of like to, just to kind of go out uh, without without adult supervision, more or less. Um, so we had a couple of hours, and uh, so we chose to spend those couple of hours watching American Made, a Tom Cruise film directed by Doug Lyman. Um, and uh, I don't know whether you've seen it. It's about it's about drug running uh, using small planes in like the 1980s. Oh, really? Uh, between the Caribbean and the United States. And it's a little bit like uh, imagine if you really, really enjoyed the last 45 minutes of Goodfellas and thought, you know what, that should be an entire film on its own. I know <laughs> yeah. I'll make it, but I'll put planes in it. Um, and that's what that's what it is. It's fine. The, the most notable, most fun thing about it is that Tom Cruise appears. Yeah. Um, you know, he's oh, wow. the lead and he is he is playing um, a guy who is very stupid. <laughs> and it's quite nice. To, it's quite nice to see Tom play a guy who actually, you know, he doesn't have the answers. He's actually pretty thick <laughs> and, and it constantly messes up. So, uh, yeah, it's enjoyable for that. That's wonderful. That was my brother just recommended that. Um, I think he'd listened to one of our listeners on the uh, the Maverick podcast, and uh, he said, "This is yeah. You're reminded that Tom Cruise can act sometimes, and I'm sure he does well as a stupid guy. I'm sure he plays stupid intelligent guy. guys well as well. Tom, don't <laughs> listen to this or don't uh, get mad. Um, we love you, Tom. But now I've got two films to see, and then I, in the theaters here, there's this thing called the Menu. Guys, have you seen this one with? Um, Ah, it's uh, Ray Fiennes. Ray yeah. Fiennes is in it, yeah, yeah. I really which also want to watch looks that intriguing. One. I'm okay, very okay, intrigued okay. by that film, yeah. Okay. I love him. I think he, he's excellent. Uh, and they had really good reviews. I read some really good reviews, yeah. 
Okay, excellent. So I've got more. I've put together more of a film list here. Thank you both. <laughs> uh, rather than saying anything that in particular that I've talked about or seen recently. Right. Well, this has been the Two Real Cinema Club. Thank you so much for joining us, Inesh. Wonderful. Thank you. What a pleasure. Thank you very, very much. I promise I'll work on my Portuguese pronunciation mm. before we speak again. <laughs> I don't know if, that, if uh, there are that many Portuguese films that you want to compare it with, but yeah, <laughs> I'll think of a few. Yes. Um, and I was just going to say uh, thanks again for coming out. Yeah, you are the greatest of all time. This was the best podcast ever. <laughs> ne- ever. Next time, I think maybe we should do two suggestions that you have. Yeah. No pressure. No pressure. pressure. I'll try to think of a very complicated title so that you can't pronounce. So, yeah, I'm off the hook and never come back again. You'll never revive me. More than three syllables and we're lost. (laughs) Right. Well, thank you for joining us. Thank you for listening. Uh, And uh, we will be back uh, next time for two more films. Until then, thank you and goodbye. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye. Thank you.